thank you for joining us here at Gidwell and that we can worship the one that we can say that is who you are. Such a joy to have this time with you and thank you to the team leading us to the throne of his grace and his glory that we can celebrate him. Uh, if you need any help, any assistance, please let us know, especially if you're a first-time guest. Uh, we're grateful uh, for you honoring us with your presence. We're in this sermon series uh, that we're calling Love God, Love People. Jonathan started this last week. And if you spend any time around this place, you will see people wearing uh, t-shirts that say Love God, Love People, our theme for uh, this month. We thought that the theme of love should be very significant for February. I mean, you got Valentine's Day, you got red, you got pink, you got hearts, you got chocolate. So nothing gets by us. We know it needed to be about love. And so Jonathan started us off with love God, love people. You see those t-shirts. Uh, today, you won't see t-shirts with the theme that I'm presenting. Um, but I get to talk about love for the church. Even before I went into uh, ministry, I was captivated uh, by what the church could be, what it could become. And so I thought to myself as I was thinking about today, what would be a one-sentence uh, goal, a theme I could share with you of what my heart is about what a church could be? And so I put that down. It's on the back of your bulletin, but it's also on the screen. And it says, an authentic community of faith that has a heart for the lost, comma, that also challenges followers of Christ to grow in their faith as they learn to passionately follow Jesus Christ. Is that goal too lofty? Not on your life. The thing that we understand is we uh, write things down like that. That's what we're trying to achieve. But we write it down and we realize that's an exception and not a rule in so much of the modern day church. So I thought about today with the love for the church and uh, that theme for today. And I also thought about a scripture that we've shared with you before that comes from 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. And in that, it says these words, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen. That word strengthen may be translated uh, in a translation that you are reading from, bless or show his power. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen, to bless, to show his power. Going back, the eyes of the Lord range. He's looking back and forth throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I wondered what it would be like for the Lord's eyes to be looking this way, that way, searching here and there, looking for an entity, a place, a people, a gathering, a church that just wants to fully honor God. What would that be like? I can't imagine. I had wondered about that, but I so wanted get well, and so won't get well, to be that place where God stops. He says, oh, there's a place that is wanting to honor me, 
And therefore, I can't help but pour out to bless, to strengthen that gathering of people because uh, they're searching for me. Now, we can make a list um, of reasons of why God would stop and bless individuals or a church. And everyone would, everyone would be valid. Everyone would be true. But if our theme for today is talking about love for the church, what would you say, what's your opinion of why God would stop and do that? Here's what I believe. And I believe that it's something that we in the modern-day church setting have quietly uh, missed, something that we've kind of pushed to the side, something that uh, we're not taught, something that we're not expected, something that is just uh, over here somewhere. And I think the thing that would cause the promise of Second Chronicles 16 to be fulfilled uh, over a gathering would be this. And that answer would be that we would gather in this place um, with God's blessings poured out as His people simply long for and desire only God. If we gathered in this place today and we simply long for, we desire nothing more than God, what that would be like. I believe that the church gathered and longed for His presence, then God would stop. And God would bless beyond what we can think or imagine if we just sought only God. So let's talk about that desire for more God. What that might mean for us, for here, for get well. Uh, what it might mean for us corporately if we longed for God's presence. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 2. Now, Joshua 2 is not uh, a teaching text that we normally use concerning the church. But it speaks about amazing love. It speaks about uh, grace. It speaks about some lessons that we can learn uh, for the church and make application here. Because in Joshua 2, we find the story of Rahab. Now, Rahab's story is a reminder of God's grace, amazing grace, and how strong and how rich that grace is. Uh, Rahab's story is a story of how we can regain our desire for God's presence as we passionately learn to follow Jesus Christ. Here's Rahab's story. Rahab's story has to begin with her profession. There is no way around it. There's no way to skip it, no way to push it to the side, uh, no way to uh, avoid it. Because Rahab's chosen profession was that of a harlot. Look with me in Joshua 2, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. It said, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Look, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Here's what's happening. It is time for the children of Israel to... Uh, make their step into the promised land. They have been wandering for 40 years. And so now they're camped on the other side of Jordan, and it has come time with Joshua as their new leader for them to enter into the land that God has promised them. 
Uh, the city of Jericho stands as a big challenge for uh, the Hebrew people. As they cross the land, as they enter into, because Jericho was uh, a formidable city that was located just on the north part of the Dead Sea. And uh, it was there, and it was inhabited by Canaanites. Now, Canaanites lived in this city, and to call the Canaanite people barbaric is an understatement. Some biblical historians have said that the world has not seen a more evil people since. These people of Canaan, uh, they sacrificed their own children in worship. They were known to bury their children alive for the sake of worship. When they gathered to worship, it turned into a sexual orgy. The Canaanites, it seemed, had no regard for human life, no respect for God. This place was evil. When Becky and I were blessed to go to Israel, to the Holy Land, several years ago, as we were touring, uh, we stopped at this place, and the tour guide had us stand up and look down into this valley. And here's what we saw. That is an altar, sacrificial altar for the Canaanite people. And he talked about how many people had been sacrificed in the name and for the sake of religion at that place. And there was a holy hush that just fell over as we stood and we looked. And you had to think about the children and you had to wonder how can people have such a mindset like that to not regard their children all for the sake of religion. And that holy hush fell, and I thought, how many people had died there? That is the city of Jericho, an evil culture. And Joshua sent two spies, and those two spies tried to slip in unnoticed into Jericho, and it was Jericho, and in Jericho, that these two spies met Rahab. Now, there's a lot we could say about Rahab without ever mentioning her profession. We could say that she was a Canaanite. We could say that she provided cover for these two spies. We'll read about that. We could say that she became a follower of uh, Yahweh God. We'll see that momentarily. We could mention also that she was spared in the destruction of uh, her city. But the most interesting fact we could say about Rahab outside of her profession is this. We could say that she married a contemporary of Joshua. She bore a son named Boaz, who had a son named Jesse, a great-grandson named David. And one of the descendants of Rahab was named Jesus Christ. You look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and Rahab's name appears in the family tree of the Son of God from Jericho. There's a lot we could say about Rahab without mentioning her current chosen profession. Yet five out of seven times that we read Rahab's name in Scripture, we find that it's listed as Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. To show a little empathy, a little compassion, wouldn't it just be okay to say it one time, I got it? You don't have to mention it. 
Uh, we're not that dumb. You know, it's just something for us to say. But yet, the Bible doesn't approach it that way. For the Bible, it's a big deal. A big deal to mention her name. In fact, for what it's worth, if you go to the book of Hebrews and the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, you read all the names of the patriarchs that are there. Uh, folks like Abel and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And then you come to this name of Rahab the harlot. No apologies. No oops. No asterisk. See the footnote at the bottom of your Bible. Nothing like that. Just Rahab the harlot. We have to notice by that that God is making a point about the people that God uses. And God does use people a few times and change lives in different ways, doesn't he? But back to the story. We can't miss this. It's very apparent that Rahab's profession in Jericho mattered less than her profession of faith. In verse 2, it's going to be on the screen. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Now, you have to believe that those that were in Jericho knew about this mass of people that were just on the other side of the Jordan River, six to eight miles away. Uh, you could see the gathering. You could be on the walls. You could look out, and you could see the dust and see that there was a gathering out there. The king of Jericho knew. Uh, the army scouts had to report back saying, oh, they're there. In fact, if you go further and you can read uh, in verse 9 of chapter 2, Rahab says to the spies that all of Jericho was melting in fear. So the word on the street is that God's hand was on this people, this Hebrew nation that's just on the other side of the Jordan River, and woe to anyone that will interfere with that nation. When the king of Jericho heard that spies were hiding in Jericho, um, back to our story, he sent soldiers to capture the spies at Rahab's house. And what follows is probably one of the most fascinating scenes that we have in the Bible. I had to let my imagination run just a little bit as I read that. Uh, I've probably been influenced too much by John Wayne and some westerns that I grew up and the barmaids that were always in the saloon. So I just kind of let my imagination go with that. But I imagine with the king sending soldiers uh, that the soldiers were walking through the narrow streets of Jericho with their torches lit. And as they pass by the saloons and the taverns, uh, they're still open and the people are heckling the soldiers as they're going back by, maybe casting obscenities toward them, but yet they're on a mission. And they go to Rahab's house, her brothel. And there the captain of the guard knocks on the door. And you hear some shuffling inside the door. And then all of a sudden, the door squeaks open. And the captain of the soldier says, we are here uh, to, for the Hebrew spies. And as they say that, uh, we see that Rahab is standing there. Scantily clothed. 
probably with uh, an enticement for those that are looking for that kind of pleasure. And there Rahab is. Her, her voice is husky from one too many cigarettes. Her eyes are darkened and shadowed from too late of nights and not enough sleep in the day. And they say, we're here for the spies. And she says to them, well, you just missed them. Is there anything else that I can do for you? We're here for the spies. Where are they? And she looks to the left. And she looks to the right. And she says, you just missed them because they left. And they wanted to get outside the city before the gate closed. And so these soldiers, leaving Rahab, go toward that gate, go toward the outside with their lit torches. And there Rahab drops the lady of the evening pretense. And she runs upstairs. She uncovers the spies that she's hidden underneath flax. And she says, now's your time to escape. Now's your time to leave. Go over this wall. And they stand on the roof of Rahab's house. And they see the torches of the soldiers disappear into the night. We have to call a quick time out here in the story because there's some unanswered questions. I mean, it was for me. We can wonder, we can wonder, why were those two spies hanging out in a brothel in the first place? Uh, The story doesn't tell us. We can also ask, how did the king of Jericho know that the spies were at Rahab's? Can't tell you that either. Another unanswered question, at least I had, why did Rahab lie? What does that say about us? We'll save that for another sermon series. The bigger question outside those questions is this. The bigger question is what does the appearance of a harlot have to say about us? About our own promised land ahead of us. Maybe the answer that Rahab gave, uh, we'll find it out. Because let's not miss what Rahab said to the spies. To paraphrase in verse 9, she said something like this, the whole city's talking about you and your enemies. Everyone is freaking out. Everyone is scared. The king can't sleep. The people can't eat. The chickens can't lay eggs. Everyone's courage had vanished, she said, like a puff of smoke. Those words must have surprised the spies. They never expected to find cowards in Jericho, not in that evil place, not in that vile, dreadful people, not here. But you could have probably blown them over with what else happened. Not only the lack of courage... But they never in all their years would have expected to find faith in a brothel. But they did. Verse 9, look at it with me. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You just never know where you're going to find faith, right? You just never know. Yet Rahab's morals, are they in question? You bet. But Rahab could do the math. Her logic was spot on. She's saying, I've been paying attention. And I can tell you as I paid attention that your God is a real deal. That is who you are. And Rahab found God, and God found Rahab. And God spotted this tender heart in this hard, harsh, vile place that was evil. And he reached out, and God touched her. God would have touched the whole city of Jericho if they had wanted to be touched. But they didn't. Rahab, I think, had advantage over everyone else. And we can't miss this as well. You see, uh, she didn't have anything to lose. She was at the bottom of the rung. She had no place to climb. She had no aspirations of the next step. She was just living in existence. No chance for advancement. And sometimes the clearest picture and perception we have of life is when we're at the bottom of life. And the only way we can do is just look up. That's where Rahab was. Perhaps that's where you are. You are surrounded by evil. Rahab was encircled by violence. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you live in a house where everyone argues and fights. Maybe you're in a business where bite, backbiting is an art form. Uh, maybe you're in a business, in a school where no one cares. Maybe you're on a team. Maybe you're part of a hunting club, fishing club, exercise class. Maybe you live in a neighborhood. And the only time that you hear anything about God is when it's a cursing of God. Maybe you know what it's like to live in Jericho. It could be that you've gone the way of Rahab. You may not be selling your body for profit, but you sold your allegiance, your affection, your attention, and also your talents. You sold out one time or another. Truth be known, we've all sold out one time or the other. And because we've sold out, we have not met the expectations we had for our life. And we ask, does God have a place for someone like me? I mean, if we're talking about promised land and about future and things and about life with God, uh, that's okay for him, that's okay for her, but what about for me? You see, I have too much stuff. I have a clarifier at the end of my name. I have things that I carry as baggage in this life. 
and we think that God does not have room for me. And if you think that, then I give you one word. And that one word is Rahab. Rahab's testimony is that God has a place for you. Just when you start to eliminate yourself from God's grace, just when you begin to think that your past disqualifies yourself, you and I can turn to the book of Joshua and we can read about Rahab. What's so interesting to me is that in this book of Joshua, Rahab gets an entire chapter, the entire second chapter of Joshua. Uh, if you read the book of Joshua, you don't find the names of his right-hand men. You don't find the names of the priests that carried the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River as a step. You don't find those names. But yet we have an entire chapter devoted to Rahab, the harlot. God picked Rahab. In Joshua 2, we get just a big close-up view of God's grace something we in the church cannot forget, we cannot lose. And that's to say, if you and I want to go to this promised land that God has for us, don't think for a second that your past is greater than God's grace. Do not. In fact, Jesus gave a one-sentence job description that we can point to in Luke 19, verse 10, where Jesus said, this is why I came. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. When we use that word lost, we think about, well, I've lost my glasses. I've lost my telephone. I've lost my mind. The way Jesus uses that word lost Lost means ruined, it means destitute, it means garbage heap, it means tossed, it means discarded. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is trash. Jesus is saying, that's the person I came for. I came for Rahab, I came for you. I came for me. The Hebrew spies, as it turned out, they were kind of like missionaries. Um, we know what happened in Jericho, how the city fell and rubble that was there. We know that whatever information that spies came to gather in order to take back to Joshua was really not needed. They didn't need the data. They didn't, didn't need the information because when the walls fell, it wasn't because of the data, the information. God did that. Yes, God sent the spies, but God had a bigger purpose for those spies to find Rahab because when she told them now's the time for you to escape they told her how she could be saved you take a scarlet thread you put it in the window you hang it in the window and that will be your protection and that's what Rahab did And I have to wonder how many times Rahab went by and made sure that red scarlet cord was still hanging in that window, that it hadn't fallen off because she knew the Hebrew people were coming. And as the Hebrew people came, they were told, 
Look for the scarlet thread that is in the window. And after they walked around the seventh time and they shouted, the walls fell. And Rahab's house was saved. Rahab's story, it became a part of Hebrew history. If you turn over to Joshua 6, verse 25, it says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. It's like if you have any question about Rahab's testimony, about her story, about what happened, you can go and ask. She would be happy to tell you. Rahab didn't know much about God. She didn't know much about the children of Israel, about Moses. But she knew about a majestic, almighty God. And she had faith. And she believed. So how does Rahab's story translate into love for the church? Here's what I think. We have a room full of Rahabs. What's your story of faith? Do you have a story of faith? When was the last time that you stopped? Did you thank God? For all that he's done in your life from where you were to who you are today among all the rubble of life. When was the last time? In the church, we have grown accustomed to a predictable routine that this is church. We get in our vehicles, we drive to the location, we get out, we do our things, whether it's discipleship, Sunday school class, worship, and then we get back in our cars and we go and we eat lunch. And we call that church. We seem to have missed, pushed to the side, a time in which a gathering of people that long for God would stop and say, I desire you most of all. And I want to honor you for that transformation that's happened in my life, for the person I was and the person I am now because of your red cord of blood that was given for me. I just have to wonder what it would be like for a gathering of people to come with expectation, anticipation to say, God, you be glorified for the change that's happened among us. Because I once was a Rahab, but now I'm yours. In the church, I feel like we've lost pushed aside 
and don't desire Him because it's just become a routine. In reading Luke's Gospel, Jesus was entering Jerusalem. And as He was entering Jerusalem, the Pharisees, religious leaders said, rebuke your disciples, tell them to stop with all the coats and the Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus looked at him and says, if my disciples are quiet, then the stones and the rocks will cry out. Seems to me in reading that, that all of creation knows who the Son of God is. Have we in the church forgotten who the Son of God is? That I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I once feared death, and he came and said, I give you life. I once felt all alone. He said, no, you are mine. Where we come and we say to ourselves, I thought I would never be enough. But Jesus said, oh, I am more than enough. Rahab's have we forgotten. And what do we want this place to be as we gather? Maybe, just maybe, we've grown cold in our remembering our art of gratitude as a church, as a body of believers, and God's eyes are searching. Where? Where could it be? And just as a fact, if you read Scripture, at this moment, all of heaven is gathering around the throne of our Savior. And they are saying, worthy, worthy are you, the lamb that was slain for me. Holy, holy, holy. And the church is known as the bride of Christ. And the church ought to join with all of heaven as we celebrate who he is and what he's done for us. I wonder what it would be like for a gathering of people to have that kind of focus. If God has touched your life and you just want to honor Him in any way, this is not out of compulsion. It's not out of anything other. But you can stand if you can identify a time that God has touched your life and we don't have altar rails that are open we can come and we can worship we can worship where we are I'm going to pray and then Clinton's going to sing and may he be glorified let me pray Lord as uh, your children identify we stand and we say you're so worthy I just uh, know the difference you've made in my life, where I was. And that my heart's just so full, it just overflows. 
And I ask forgiveness. Forgiveness for me, for your church, your bride that's lost while we gather, that we can come as a corporate body and we can worship the love for the church is all about you and what you have done for us. And Lord, let our words be words of praise to you. Let our songs be songs of praise to you. May our thoughts be thoughts that go to you. For worthy, worthy are you, King of kings, Lord of lords. It's only unto you that we give praise. And I pray for us at Get Well Church that this will be a pivotal time that we will change our way of thinking, that we will come with a sense of expectation for you to pour out your blessing because we have gathered and we desire only you. I thank you for Get Well. I thank you for this time. But I thank you more so for you. And it's in the sweetest name that I can ever say that I offer this prayer. And that sweet name is Jesus.